the Oakdale Christian Centre podcast. This episode, we have a presentation from Clyde and Jan from Open Doors. Open Doors is an organisation which supports the persecuted church all over the world. We thank Clyde and Jan for coming and giving us an insight into what they do. To help preserve the anonymity of some of the people mentioned in this recording, their names have been obscured. Amen. Bless the Lord. Uh, good to have uh, Clyde and Janice with us uh, tonight. Ja- uh, Clyde was on his own last time. Janice was ill from a fall. It's good to have them both tonight. Amen. Bless God is good. And uh, lovely day to come up from Kumar then. Yes. Better than last week. Yeah. Bless you. Bless you, Clyde. Bless you, Janice. Amen. Uh, thanks for having us again and uh, for praying for us. And um, we mentioned something about that later on. I want to show a, a, a clip of a DVD, first of all. And... Um, uh, I hope it all works, um, but it's, uh, you know, we can ask the question sometimes, does God answer our prayers? And uh, we want to encourage you tonight that God answers our prayers. Maybe you know that already, but uh, we go through phases, you know, and um, uh, I remember reading, that this is the verse I got, it's 2 Corinthians 10:4. the weapons we fight with are not weapons of the world, on the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. And... Um, uh, I remember reading this. Um, it's a poem. Uh, the weary one had rest, the sad had joy that day, and wondered how. A plowman singing at his work had prayed, Lord, help them now. And that's the theme, really, of, of what we're saying, that your prayers really matter. We might be the ones who, who go, but your prayers really matter. Now, I want, we, don't get too frightened of this video. There's a shout in it. And I wouldn't like you to jump out of your skin. There's a shout in it, so... um... And, you know, they had no idea who they were praying for. And yet, because of their prayers, uh, he was warmed in the cell. And we may think, oh, yes, maybe it was just his imagination. But no, it wasn't his imagination. And uh, we've got a great God that we serve who can wake people up in the middle of the night just to pray for one man who was suffering because he was the apple of God's eye. Um, And we've got a personal testimony which is very similar because um, when we used to take Bibles into China, uh, very often, you know, we'd be sent in a a big group of people and this this one particular occasion, they decided in their wisdom to send 17 of us through the one border, um, which, um, well... We didn't think that it was very wise, but, you know, God knows, and, and they, they prayed about it. And, um, and, of course, that particular day, we were all very, very, very nervous. It was a very uh, difficult border, but we all got through. And when we came home, one of the members in our church, uh, a man called Granville, who lived in St. Clair's in, in West Wales, um, he said to Clyde, you doing on such and such a date and, and such and such a time and Clyde said oh we were going through that border in um, whatever it was in China and he said well do you know the Lord woke me up in the middle of the night and I just had this tremendous burden to pray for you and Jan and at that very moment we were all going through the border and God saw to it that someone in St. Clair's was praying for us in China so praise him for his goodness. Yes, we want to encourage you tonight um, 
because uh, very often we don't see answers. That doesn't happen all the time. Alexander is still going strong in Russia. And um, God woke someone up in the Philippines, thousands of miles away. It's amazing, really. And, uh, okay, the call remains the same. You know, this is what set Brother Andrew. You know about Brother Andrew. We won't go into that. Uh, he's about 90 now. He's still praying for everybody in the world. He doesn't travel anymore. And, um, uh, but he needs our prayers because he's not well. He's got some bad health issues. And uh, does God answer our prayers for the suffering church? Well, yes, he does. Uh, and Jan mentioned there, you know, border crossings. We, we've recently come back from Cuba. We spent two weeks visiting pastors there. It's very tough in Cuba. It's getting worse. Now, people go on holiday to Cuba, I know, and they have a great time in the resorts. This year, there was no oil. There was no bread, hardly, in the resorts even. So the people certainly didn't have any because there's no wheat. And um, one egg is, five, is a pound. And they live on rations, and they live. We met a pastor who lives on a five pound a month. And we were able to take gifts to, to the, these pastors and, you know, um, give them monetary gifts and Bibles, of course, which is more important than anything. And they're thrilled to have God's word. Uh, there's one lady we met. Um, uh, she's got a, a church in a slum in a city. And, and we, she told us last year, I'd like to have a study Bible. I go, no study Bible. She only had one Bible in the whole church anyway. She was to photocopy the page for the, the congregation. And um, so we managed to get the Reina Valera, the Spanish version they want, the NIV, Spanish version, John MacArthur study Bible, a big thing. And we managed to get it in. And, you know, to see her hugging that for half an hour, opening it, shutting it, looking at it, going, oh, well, it makes you wonder, do we love our Bibles enough? And uh, she's using that Bible now, of course. And um, so border crossings are very difficult. You know, um, we had a 10-hour flight, and it's 10 hours of, of satanic attack. Because all the way through these 10 hours, you can't enjoy the films. It's no good because the devil's saying, you're going to be caught today. They're going to take your Bibles off you. He's blah, 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 blah. On he goes, he's nagging you all the time. And you're praying all the time, of course, trying to pray all the time. And, uh, and then God does miracles on the borders. And we got um, uh, 35 Bibles plus the big Bible in. And we were able to go to these pastors with God's word. And, uh, you know, they do something amazing in some of the churches there at the end of the service in the morning. And it's packed out, by the way, probably... Didn't go to church with less than about 100 there. And the last thing they do, or the first thing they do, who's brought their Bibles today? And they have to hold it up and they count. And they put it up on a, on a chalkboard. Bibles brought, a number of people, 100 Bibles brought today, 80. Ooh, who's the 20 who didn't bring their Bibles? You know, maybe they haven't got any. But, you know, it's a good thing they, they bring their Bibles and, uh, to make sure the pastor is teaching the right stuff. So border crossings... Uh, it's quite a tense business, and uh, we value prayers again. In four weeks' time, we're off to North Africa. I can't tell you where, to North Africa. So uh, we're taking some stuff in there. I want to tell you, maybe you've heard about him. He was in the news, Peter Chasek, uh, and he's from Czechoslovakia. He worked for, not for Open Doors, but for a similar group called Voice of the Martyrs. And um, he went to Sudan two years ago to encourage the Christians there, because North Sudan is under the control of Bashir, who's just been kicked out today. Hallelujah. He's a war criminal. He can't go anywhere in the world. He'd be arrested because he's killed so many in Darfur. Well, he's in, he was in charge then. And they arrest, of course, they arrest Peter Chasek on the way out of the country. They've had a camera on him all the time. 
and they throw him into jail. And he went to a successive number of jails, ended up, uh, after about 18 months, in a jail, in a cell, with five ISIL men. Him and five ISIL men. And these ISIL men basically controlled the prison. The guards were scared of them. They went loose to do what they liked, but the guards were frightened of them, so they sort of treated them with kid gloves. And um, they, they thumped Peter Chasek, they chanted the Quran in his ears day and night, and uh, they were horrible to him in this. Five of them and one of him. And after about a few weeks, they decided, we're going to get rid of this man. And they formulated a plan. They persuaded the guard that day, who was a bit scared of them, to let them out and go along the corridor to take them upstairs, where there was a cell with running water. And the plan was they were going to um, waterboard Peter Chasek. If you know what that means, they shove a horse, they tie you down, they put a horse pipe in your mouth and turn the tap on until you either burst or drown. That's what they were going to do. They're walking along the corridor with Peter Chasek, and he's praying, of course, and uh, Angel, I don't know, there's a guard coming along who says, where are you taking him? And they said, they said no, you're not. Go back into your cell. Otherwise, they'll call the whole guard out. And he took them back to the cell and took Peter Chasek somewhere else. He was released shortly after that. They kept him apart from them. Released shortly after that. When he got home, people were asking him, what was happening to you at that time, on that day, during that afternoon? Exactly the time. God might wake you up tonight to pray for a Christian. It's not beyond him. He woke them up. He woke them up for Alexander Ogorodnikov as well. He's back in America now, Peter Chasek. And that's Alexander. Um, we've got a call, of course. Uh, we've got a call to come to Christ first. That's the first call, isn't it? We've got a call to go. Maybe he'll call you to go. Maybe not. He called us to go. Um, to persevere. We're all called to persevere. We're called to suffer, some of us. We might have to suffer in this country. Who knows? But we've all called to pray. Every one of us. I was telling a story in the church yesterday, because it's the second time this week, how um, uh, some 40, 40 years ago in the Bronx in New York, uh, there was a little old lady. She was around about the 70s, 80s, a uh, prayer warrior. And there was a school nearby, a rough school. Kids with drugs and all kinds of stuff was going on there. And she said to God, Lord, tell me who the worst kid in that school is, and I'll pray for him. And this name was brought to her. So she started praying one week, two weeks, three weeks, four months, five months. All of a sudden, this person was saved. He came to Christ. Now, you might know who he is. He's world famous. George Verwer, the founder of Operation Mobilization. He was the one she prayed for. And he, she's gone to glory now. This, I'll tell you her name in a minute. It's a funny name. Uh, but he often says, you know, when we're in heaven, there'll be a little old lady up there with a cloth cap, with a bonnet on, and that'll be Dorothea Clapp. That's her name. Never forget Dorothea Clapp, a hero for the Lord. You know, she prayed for George Verwer. Through her prayer, two to three hundred came to Christ in that school during his time there. So, you know, our prayers matter. We want to encourage you tonight. I know you, you pray here anyway, but sometimes we feel, well, are they really? You know, it's good to know that God answers. Um, works with children in Erbil, which is Kurdistan, uh, in, in Iraq. 
And uh, we actually met him when we were there about three years ago. Uh, when ISIL came into the Nineveh plain in um, Iraq, they drove all the Christians out. And many of the men, they crucified on fence posts on their way. The children were taken with their mothers and saw what was happening, Some, their own fathers having been crucified. And so you can imagine the trauma that those children had gone through when they arrived up in Erbil. And who was the son of a pastor and training for the ministry himself, had it on his heart to go up to Erbil and with the help of open doors uh, to um, erect huge tents where these children could go together to paint, to talk about their experiences, to share what they'd been through. Ministering to those children, and he's still there now. Many of the children have gone back to the, the Nineveh plain, but there are still people in Erbil who are displaced because of what ISIL did in their towns and villages. So pray for He's a lovely man. He came to Parliament here um, last year sometime just to explain exactly what the work that he was doing um, in, in Erbil was. And uh, so he, he needs our prayers because, you know, there are still people who would uh, cause damage to those children, to their parents and to him. Might have shown his picture here before. He's, um, he's a pastor in... In, in southern Israel. We've met him a few times now and um, uh, is in a bad way. Uh, he was saved in St. Petersburg through an American evangelist on the street. And um, he set, went down to the southern part of Israel uh, to Arad near the Negev Desert where God told him to start a church for Messianic Jews, Jews who'd converted. Tough, very tough. We think of the Muslims being fanatical well, we'll tell you a little bit more about how fanatical the, the ultra-Orthodox are. They kill as well, you know. And um, he's been under tremendous pressure. We met him last October, and uh, he just had a breakdown, and his church is still going on. Only about 15 of them in this big city of, of ultra-Orthodox Jews. Uh, so he needs our prayer. Um, this is the problem they've got, is the ultra-Orthodox Jews. Nothing's changed, has it? Easter's coming up. Uh, uh, we're not just blaming them, but they're so religious that anything that comes against them, we know a friend, we've got a friend in Jerusalem who we meet every time we go there, almost every year now, and um, she has to look behind her shoulder because they've got a secret police. What's it called? Led Yachem or something like that it's called. Uh, and she's, she's had letters from them, we're going to get you, you know, we're watching you, following you. Living under that kind of pressure, she works with Ethiopian Jews, this lady, but she's always followed and watched because these people have got a kind of secret police that does their job. Now, we visited a, a church uh, only five months ago in, um, in Ashdod. Now, Ashdod is only five minutes rocket time from Gaza. Okay, it's important to remember that. So when the sirens go off, the rockets are on the way from Hamas. And uh, this church, that's a graffiti on the church, uh, scrawled there by the ultra-Orthodox Jews. This is them here. Uh, there was a thousand of them that day circling the church 
of uh, the man we're going to show you now, Pastor Israel, his name is, good name for a pastor, Pastor Israel. Well, he was called by God to go and start a church in Ashdod. He had about 100 in his church at this time. And these 1,000 people, ultra-Orthodox Jews, gathered around the church to intimidate them, follow them home, watch where they were going, intimidate the kids, and so on and so on. They would even kill if it came to the point. And um, there, there were, I, I didn't call it a deacon's meeting, but it's, uh, it's worse than that. Deacon's meeting are bad, but this is worse. This is the ultra-Orthodox getting together to plot. And this is the pastor. Now you imagine your Pastor David here. You imagine Bilbo's going up all round Oakdale. This man is dangerous and his wife. Don't listen to them. They're, they're from the devil. Posted all over the city of Ashdod. Terrific pressure. Hate campaign. Well, um, he kept going. God kept blessing him. His church is now 300 strong. So they needed a new building. By the way, this is their bomb shelter in the bottom of the church. So when the sirens go off, they take the kids, 70 of them at the time we were there, last October, and they bundle them in. The door is that thick. The walls are that thick. It's steel. So if the church gets hit, the children are safe. That's tremendous pressure to, to be under uh, from Hamas and from the ultra-Orthodox. Well, this is uh, Pastor Israel. His hair's gone a bit white now. Um, Shall I say it? Yes. Yeah, say it. She's heard this so many times. I think he's saying to John there, what are you talking about, woman? But he's more polite than that, more polite than me. Um, but he was telling us, um, we've been praying, our building's so small, uh, we've been praying, and the buildings come next door. And, um, but they wanted 14 million for it. Property is very expensive in Israel, extremely expensive. So they prayed and prayed, and they got it half price. Now, 7 million's a lot, I know. But they got it half price. And do you know why? I haven't got a picture of it. It's above a petrol station. Who wants a church above a petrol station? <laughs> that's great, isn't it? So that's why the price came down. Nobody else wanted it. And um, rockets coming from Hamas. But they, they trust in God. They trust in God to do that to the rockets or whatever. So they bought this church and they, they were about to move in. They, they showed us around it's superb. And uh, the church is growing. But 350 strong now. In a city of 300,000 fanatical Jews. God is on the move. So Pastor Israel, wonderful man of God, saw answers to prayer. Saw the price come down that much. And they were able to. And John will tell you about. Pastor lives in the West Bank in Ramallah, which was uh, Yasser Arafat's stronghold. Um, and he was telling us that he's not allowed, he's got a church in Ramallah itself, he's not allowed to go into the villages around Ramallah, they're all um, fanatical Muslims, you know, Ramallah is almost all Muslim, there are pockets of Christians there, but he's not allowed to go into the villages. And then, all of a sudden, something started to happen. It, some evenings, there'd be a knock on his door, and when he'd open it, there would be a Muslim there asking for a Bible because they were seeking for the true God. Wonderful, isn't it? Really wonderful. And that's happening in pockets all over the West Bank, all over the Muslim world, really. Um, Jesus is either appearing to people and they call him the man in white, or they're just being spoken to in their heart and being driven to seek for our God. 
is a little girl who goes to an evangelical school in um, Hebron, which is 100% fanatical Muslim. And uh, one day, she she was, she's 11 now, but when she was 10, she went to her teacher one morning and said, I've got a secret. And the teacher asked her what it was, she told her, and she thought, well, this is too big for me, I'll take you to the headmaster. She went to the headmaster and uh, he asked her what the secret was. And she said, I see Jesus every morning standing by your side in assembly. And uh, I mean, they were gobsmacked, you can imagine. And so, I mean, she's from a Muslim home. You know, they, the, all the children that go to that school are from Muslim homes. And uh, so they asked her, how do you know what Jesus looks like? Or have you seen pictures of him or what? And she said, well, um, sometimes my grandmother collects all the grandchildren together in her home. And then she closes the door because two ladies come and they tell us about Jesus. And it turned out that these two ladies were Swiss, they come from Switzerland 20 years ago. And for all those years, they'd been going all round areas in the, in the West Bank, knocking on doors, asking, would you like us to come in and tell you about Jesus? And this little girl, I mean, we were so jealous when we heard that every day she sees him standing there on the stage by the headmaster. And this is the headmistress of the school. Um, they had a vision about five years ago of building a big evangelical academy for um, three to 18 year olds, but they didn't have any money, but they were praying. And then one day a, a, a Korean, an American Korean came to visit the West Bank. He was going around the schools to see what they were doing, the work that they're doing. God is working amongst the children in the West Bank. You know, he's bringing Christians and Muslim children together. Anyway, he came back after about uh, a month of this tour. And he said, I've been in touch with my church back home. And they've decided to give you a gift towards the building of this new school. $13 million. Praise God. Yeah. What a gift. And it's finished. Uh, last year... This is it. Last year, it's, it's a beautiful school, but last year, now they're just up to year um, seven. So they've got all the primary uh, school children and they've started secondary school children. They've prayed in every single stick of furniture. Um, they're still waiting for the labs, the science labs to be furnished properly. Um, <clears throat> but this is prayer, isn't it? You know, God is answering prayer in a wonderful way. There are Muslim families, this, this school is for Christians and Muslims, there are Muslim families moving into the area so that their children can come to the school and, be, and have a Christian education because they have to sign. And th we were so privileged to go to their assembly. The, um, the um, headmaster there is an American, everything is in English, and each week, the children are given a portion of scripture to take home, to learn whether they're Christian or Muslim. And you know what it is? Oh, mummy, will you help me to learn this? Or daddy, I've got to do this by tomorrow. 
And uh, so the scripture is going into these homes. And this little boy who is in the dark there, he volunteered to um, recite Psalm 136 by heart. I wonder how many of us can do that. Psalm 136, and he stood there, a little Muslim boy, speaking out God's word to the rest of the assembly. God always um, surprises us when we go on these trips. You know, we, we come to the end of our trip last October, end of October, and uh, we said, Lord, thank you, we've been so good. We've been meet these people, we've met these people, and, and so on. And, and uh, the headmistress, who you saw back there, Rauda, uh, gets on the phone, because this is south of Bethlehem, it's in quite a remote area. Um, it's all walled in, so it's fairly safe, but nothing safe, is it, really? Uh, and um, she phoned for the taxi. And this taxi driver came, and here he is. And uh, he's a Muslim, and uh, we jumped into the car with him. And uh, first thing he does is he plays some disc or other, saying, you've just boarded Osama Airlines. But he said, I don't call it Osama anymore, because I don't like Osama bin Laden. He's a horrible man. He, he was a terrible tra terrorist. I've changed it to Obama. I didn't say anything to that, okay? We said nothing about that. And he, he'd done some amazing things. He was seeking God so much um, that he'd gone through the wall to the Wailing Wall. Now, if you know anything about Israel and the West Bank, you can't go through the wall without a battery of documents showing your passports, plus tons of soldiers, he somehow had got through without any documents because he wanted to go and worship God at the Wailing Wall, whatever that meant to him. That's incredible. He'd even bought a kippah to put on his head because he'd learned the Hebrew language. And his, his words to us were, I want to find Jesus. I'm fed up with the darkness of the Muslim faith. And you know, have you got an apostolic church in this place? Anyway, he was saying more hallelujahs than the apostolics do. He was, hallelujah, every, this guy is a Muslim, seeking God. So I, we suggested to him, well, do you want us to take you back to the school, the Christian head, head teacher, can I have a chat? I want to find Jesus myself. I'm, I want the light. And he was waving his Bethlehem, um, Palestinian Bible Society Bible in his hand. And I asked him, you know, well, what do your relatives say? Oh, I've got 360 cousins and brothers and sisters. They'll kill me, he said but I don't care, I've got to find the light. Wow. You know, people don't do that in Kamar then. They don't ask you that in Oakdale, do they? Incredible. Just incredible. Um, again, from, from Iraq, um, from a, a city called Karakosh, which was, again, in the, in the Nineveh plain. And when ISIL came to her town, uh, they drove, as I said, the Christians out. And then some of them were put on a bus to take them up to Erbil. When the, one of the soldiers, the ISIL soldiers, saw this little girl, three years of age, in her mother's arms, he went up to the mother and grabbed the child. And he was heard to say, this child will do for one of our captains. Well, you can imagine, you know, um, without going into any detail. The mother remonstrated with him and he said, he pointed his gun at her and he said, you get on the bus or you will all die. You and your other two children. And she had a blind husband. And so she very reluctantly went on, on the bus. We were all put on prayer alert. Please pray for 
and everywhere we went, we were telling, and the same with other speakers. And then about two years later, people heard that was safe and being looked after by a Christian woman, a Christian woman who had been forcibly married to another ISIL man. So, you know, we were thinking, oh, well, at least it's like Moses, where, that, where he was taken out of the bulrushes and given back to his mother to be brought up. Well, this little girl now was being brought up by a Christian woman, but still not free. And then a year later, when the Iraqi forces decided to, um, well, do a final assault on Mosul, because that's where they found out that she was, um, who would they, did they find amongst all the rubble was this little girl. And she was now six, and they took her up to Erbil to be reunited with her family. And then they had a request from the ISIL man. Please, will you bring back to us? We want to see her. And they did. They, I thought that was very brave of them. But they did. They took back. And when she was asked, do you want... Because she'd been with this other woman for the same number of years as she'd been with her own mother. And um, they, they asked, do you want to come home with us or do you want to stay here? And she said, please, I want to come home to my brother and my sister. So that's... And that, I mean, you know, God answering prayer. Who would have thought it was like looking for a needle in a haystack for one little girl of six uh, in a big city like Mosul? Um, was 23 when she became a Christian. She's been in prison ever since. They took her into, you know those containers in Eritrea that we've seen? She was put in one of those. Beaten daily deprived of everything. But during that time, she led many other young women to the Lord. And she was beaten so badly that they thought she was going to die. And so they said, you can go home as long as you promise to come back. Go home, get well fed by your mother or whatever, uh, get yourself fit again, but you must come back. Now, she could have escaped over the border into Ethiopia. But what did do? The minute she felt well enough, she walked back into the prison there in Eritrea, in Asmara. And because she said, there are people there who are my sheep, in a way. You know, I'm the shepherd of those little sheep. They need discipling. And the Lord has put it on my heart to go back and disciple them. And the last thing we've heard from her, she's been there 14 years, you know. Um, but the last thing we heard was that she wants God to be glorified in Eritrea. So we can all pray that, can't we? That God will be glorified in Eritrea and in Wales as well, but in Eritrea. Now then, um, you almost finished. Thank you for being so patient with us. Uh, I don't know if I gave these out last time, did I? No, I've printed here... Uh, the indeterminate sentence people, people who have been stuck into jail and no chance of release. And some of them have been there for 10, 12, 15 years. So pick one of these. I I'll give you a sheet afterwards. Pick one of them and pray for them until they come out. Okay, every morning, every night, pray for one of these people. There's a whole list of them. You don't have to pray for all of them. But um, just pray for one of them. And, uh, and he's one in Northwest China. So incidentally, um, I know the time's going on. Incidentally, Northwest China 
uh, the new president, Xi Jinping, has made himself the new Mao. And he's just uh, recently gone on record as saying that he wants to change the Ten Commandments, especially the one, you shall have no other God but me. What a dangerous thing to do. He's in big trouble, he said that, but he, he's going to try, he is trying to do it. And I remember this time last year, I still had knocked the cross of a church and they, they were boasted this, we're bigger than Jesus. Well, we know what's happened since, don't we? No, they're not finished, but they've been wiped out, basically. People who start putting themselves above God. Well, Xi Jinping has started doing that. Uh, so he's been in jail a long time, hasn't seen his children. And in China, we've been to China many times, you know, they don't put you uh, next door, the prison next door. They put you as far away, and you could be two days' journey from the prison. So, you know, it's a, it's a big country. Um, I won't mention him now or her or him. He's another one. He's on this little sheet. He's been in jail since 2004. Okay? Um, you've heard about Asya Bibi. Yeah, I'm sure you have. Uh, the wonderful thing about it, she's been exonerated. Um, nobody knows where she is. We've got a good feeling she's out of the country. I know our country said, don't bring her here. We're a small country. And you know, lots of uh, Pakistanis, Muslims in this country. She'd be found. And um, other countries, Canada, Australia, and those said they'd accept her. So I think that is a good move. We don't know where she is, and we don't have to, do we? Uh, we just pray that God... Uh, she's re reunited with her family, but she was in jail for, on death row for 10 years in Pakistan because she took a glass of water from a well. That's all she did, and she's, she loves the Lord. Um, Jan will tell you, just before we finish, about Leah Sharibu. Uh, she's not on the list, but remember Leah because it's... Uh... Yeah, but, um, in, in uh, northern Nigeria, there's a group like uh, Al-Qaeda um, which are called Boko Haram, uh, you remember three years ago, they went and, and um, kidnapped about 200 girls. Well, um, last year, they, they went to another place and they kidnapped 100 girls from a school. And Leah was amongst them. Uh, when uh, they, you know, had sorted them all out and dressed them in the um, Muslim garb, etc., they gave the girls a chance to sign a piece of paper to recant their faith to say, I don't believe in Jesus anymore. 99 of those girls signed. Now, we can't judge them. Where would, what would we have done? Um, Leah refused, and she's still there with them now, the only one apart from two women who were with them. She's, she was 14 then. Yeah, she was 14 then. She's 15 now, still there. A pastor's daughter will not, will not say that she doesn't believe in the Lord Jesus. Pray that the Lord will uh, just put a hedge around her and keep her safe, that uh, these men will not be able to get anywhere near her. They dress them up in this, these clothes and they make them slaves. They said they're going to make Leah a slave. And uh, we pray that. Uh, and so we heard a story, I've got a couple of minutes to say this. We heard a story last week through one of the Christian organizations that um, another group of 70 including about 30 or 40 children had been kidnapped by Boko Haram, which is the ISIL of, of Nigeria. And um, they'd been taken into the jungle and uh, the, they killed some of the men. Then they threatened the women to, to kill their children unless they recanted their faith. 
So they, they lined these children up on the wall and cocked their guns. Now, one of the little boys uh, had said to his mother, uh, the girls said to his mother, don't you, don't you go give up on Jesus? Three, four-year-olds, these are. Don't you give up on Jesus? They cocked their guns, and all of a sudden, two or three of these um, terrorists grabbed their heads and started shouting, snakes, snakes. Two fell down dead on the spot. The rest started running away. And um, one of the mothers went to grab a gun to shoot them because the guns were left there. And one of the children ran up and said, don't do that. We've got angels here. Jesus is here. Look at them. Can't you see them? They couldn't, but the children could. That, that actually happened last week. We are praying that Boko Haram, who have got Leah Sharibo, will hear that story and the fear of God will get into them. You know, so um, he's, he's on my list as well. He's on our list. And I just want to finish with this. Our prayers are effective, you know. Please, thank you very much for your time. And um, uh, I'll give you one of these afterwards. Yeah. Amen. We've got a few minutes. Just have time. We hope you've enjoyed this podcast. To find out more about our church, visit www.oakdalechristiancentre.org.